This morning's first reading comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. This can be found on page 1178 of your Bibles and in the screens in front of you. That's Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the word of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. 
He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to give my words of welcome to one and all for uh, joining us here in St. Jude's this morning, especially those who've come from a distance, and especially, very especially, the families of our two little ones who've been baptized this morning. And I trust we shall see much, much more of you in the coming weeks and months, according to the vows and promises that you have made. We just say amen to Mike's prayer, prior to the starting of the reading of God's word. I wonder what you'll be doing tomorrow morning. That's one of the reasons I became a clergyman, because clergymen, as you know, only work one day a week. And uh, I'm very, very grateful to those of you who work so hard to keep Portsmouth and South Sea going. Well done. Where will you be tomorrow morning? I wonder if at ten minutes before you normally leave home to go to work, there was a knock on your front door, and when you went down to the front door, there was a policeman there. And he said, would you come with us, please? And uh, you had to get into the car, and when you got to the police station, they said, we understand that you were involved yesterday morning in a robbery that took place in Palmerston Road. And you would quite rightly be taken back and shocked because you were in church. And they would say, you would say, no, I wasn't there. And you could give testimony to the fact that you were in church and that you were participating in or witnessing a baptism here. And after a few moments, and perhaps a call to the vicar, who if he remembered you'd been in church uh, this morning, would say, yes, yes, uh, that's, that's the truth, and possibly with apologies you would be released. Well, our subject this morning is witness. And you and I can witness to what we have seen and experienced this morning because we've been here. Nobody else in the whole of Portsmouth can witness to the baptism that we have seen and experienced this morning. We're talking, and this is the last in our series of sermons on Paul's prayers And the one in Philippians, the passage was read to us earlier on. We've seen a fraction of what the apostle taught. He actually uses no less than 30 prayers in his various epistles to the different churches. Prayer was absolutely a non-negotiable emphasis in Paul's life and work. 
He'd founded the church at Philippi, as we read in Acts chapter 16. And when he and his party arrived in Philippi, the first thing they did is they looked for a place, a place of prayer. And when they found one, they joined in with the people beside the river who were then praying. And we read this, at the place of prayer, the Lord opened one woman's heart to the preaching of the gospel. She responded to Paul's message. She and the members of her household were baptized. That woman's name was Lydia. Now, some 10 or 12 years later, Paul writes this letter and after the opening introductions, he's immediately into prayer. It's a warm and personal letter. Quite obviously, he was very fond of these young Christians. He says, I thank God every time I remember you in my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and Paul was very, very close to these new Christians in the church at Philippi. But he's in prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier on either side. Can you imagine what those guards must have felt like? Are you on duty with Paul this morning? Yes, I am. Oh, poor you. I had four hours a basin of it from him yesterday. He went away and on and on and on about this thing he calls is the gospel. And the other soldier replies, perhaps, well, I've heard it. I didn't see it like that way at all. And in fact, Paul writes, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. This was Paul's witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, even in prison. A little later, in the same chapter that was read to us, he says, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Paul didn't bemoan his bad luck at being in prison when he'd much rather have been further west because he had been planning to go to Spain to give witness to the Lord Jesus Christ there. And instead of that, he was in prison in Rome. He didn't complain about being a prisoner. In fact, it would seem from the way he worded it that he felt God had had him actually put there in prison for a purpose. Earlier he'd written, I want you to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So here he was in chains, probably in a pretty rotten sort of condition, and he said, the Lord has put me here for the advance of the gospel. Thus Paul's whole life and motivation were taken up with his witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that he was a prisoner made no difference to him at all. But what does he actually pray for? Does he pray that the Philippian Christians might be good witnesses to Jesus Christ? No. Well, certainly not in so many words. His prayer is one of joyful thanksgiving to God for the Philippian Christians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the apostles' confidence is not in the Philippians or their witness, 
but in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, being confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is God who is the witness through the Philippians. A little later in the same epistle, he writes, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So, what does the apostle pray for? Well, we get that in verses 9 to 11 in our reading, that your love may abound more and more. You remember Jesus, in the same chapter that was read to us from the sermon or the, the, his teaching of the disciples at the Last Supper, said, see that men know that you love each other. By this shall they know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And Paul takes up the same theme of Jesus and he says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. That's a good reason for coming to Alpha. Did he get that? So that you may discern what is best for your life and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ that same day filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what is Paul's witness? We see a little later in the same chapter he says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage. Oh yes, Paul is very human. And even though he's in prison with a profound faith in God, that fear of being executed still comes through. But he goes on, that I may have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Witness for Paul is living as a true servant of Jesus Christ. This man is close to being under sentence of death. A little later he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The apostle's preoccupation in prison is not with longing for his release or the condemnation of those outside who were making life more difficult for him inside. No, his focal thought is the service of Jesus Christ. He copes with prison, he copes with slander from those outside and says categorically, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me ask you a question. If I was to pass around a couple of hundred little bits of paper and pencil and you were to write down, my life is, what would be the one word or two words you would put after that? My career? My family life? A holiday I'm going to take? 
promotion in my career. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. The whole letter is filled with his joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's mentioned 45 times in this epistle. A president of a very big Christian Bible school in America, the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, in the early part of the 20th century wrote a hymn that Paul himself could have written. I know no other Jesus than he who died for me, the Savior of lost sinners, the Christ of Calvary. I know no ideal Jesus that human minds invent. The only Jesus Christ I know is whom the Father sent. That human Christ could save me is inadmissible. My Jesus is the image of God invisible. My Christ became incarnate and of the virgin born. He left a crown of glory to wear a plaited thorn. The infant in the manger, the village carpenter, the teacher sent from heaven to men to minister, the true historic Jesus who died and rose again. He is the only Jesus that I proclaim to men. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That was the beginning, the center, the sum total of what to Paul meant to witness. It's there on the banner as one of the focal points of this church fellowship's mission for being members of St. Jude's South Sea. And we do welcome people from Southampton, don't we? Are we left to witness alone? No. That's why Jesus at the Last Supper taught the disciples about the Holy Spirit. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. And a few moments later, Jesus went on, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. The last words of Jesus recorded in Matthew's Gospel are particularly appropriate this morning on a morning of celebration of baptism. Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yesterday, week ago, at about 20 past one in the afternoon, a service of commemoration was held on a wooden bridge as many hundreds of people gathered together to remember those who had lost their lives, all 11 of them, in that tragic jet crash at Shoreham Airport. We've all seen the films perhaps many times but I can't act as a witness for that accident I wasn't there I didn't see it firsthand 
At the same time as that service was going on, I happened to be in one of my favorite places, an aircraft museum. And this one was north of London, and it was a museum set up by Geoffrey de Havilland and his company. And I had flown a number of de Havilland aircraft, both in the Air Force and civil flying. And one of the aircraft they had at this particular museum was the front third of a Trident airliner. I had flown all British Airways Tridents, and I looked up at this and I thought, I have flown this aircraft. And I got up, there was no one else around, thank goodness, and I got into the cockpit, which was virtually unchanged, and I sat down in the seat that I had sat in time after time after time, flying out of Heathrow into various destinations around Europe. I put my hand on the throttles that I had had my hand on to open up three Rolls-Royce engines that shot us down the runway and into the air. I put my hand onto the controls which I had held many times to fly that particular aeroplane. And I could give truthful testimony as to what it was like to fly that aeroplane. Sadly now, as I opened the throttles, there was no roar, there was no rush down the runway. We were concrete stacked to the ground. That's a picture of the Christian who's left the Holy Spirit out of his life. He may have all the look of being a Christian, but when the power goes on, nothing happens. But when we have the Holy Spirit living within us, as we pray these little ones well in the coming years, and as their families also with them read the Scriptures and get to know the Word of God and get to know the God of the Word, they and you and I will be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere in this book are we told to go and convert people. But we are counseled again and again to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit will do the work of changing hearts and lives. May he have freedom in our lives to do just that for his name's sake. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your wonderful, wonderful love to each one of us. Grant us so to live with you and imbibe your character and personality that we may be good witnesses to Jesus Christ. Amen.